Father God, you are truly a great God. And you are our great God. You have come to us in Jesus Christ. And you have given us all things. Father, would you be great in your word today? Would you speak through it? And would we be willing to listen? Father, let us know your greatness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so today we are starting a new series called Life Apps Becoming Like Jesus. Now, we all have apps on our phone, and those apps, of course, uh, do all sorts of things. We have our GPS apps. We have our scheduling apps. We have our, our health apps to make sure we don't eat too much. And today, we're going to start a new series where we actually create apps for the Christian life using the book of Philippians. We're constructing them, things, apps like the forgiveness app or the humility app, the contentment app. But before we can jump into the applications directly, we need to make sure that we have the right operating system. So the operating system, make sure that all the apps actually work right. They don't interfere with each other. They don't compete with each other. We're going to need a good operating system. So today we're going to be asking that question, what is the basic system we need in place to become like Jesus Christ? Because if we're not working out of the right system, then our apps aren't going to work correctly. Right? Our forgiveness app isn't going to load when we need it to. Our humility app is, is never going to be on our phone. Yeah, things just aren't going to work right. So today we're looking at Paul's specific description of what his operating system is. How does he live the Christian life? We're going to see that he lives the Christian life as a rejection of worldly striving. He rejects striving after goodness, trying to be righteous and good on our own. Instead, he strives after a righteousness that he has already found in Jesus. Now, there's an inherent paradox there. He strives after a righteousness that he already has in Jesus. So let's take a look at Paul's operating system. Let's look at Philippians 3. Again, that's Philippians 3. We're going to look at 1 through 16. Read with me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness 
which comes, I'm sorry, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise... God will reveal also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. All right. So this is Paul. This is the first, he's a, one of the first leaders of the church called an apostle. And what the apostles did, they mostly wrote letters. They wrote letters to churches, and then those letters were read aloud as really as new scripture. And so Paul begins his passage with a warning, a warning that would save the spiritual life of his readers. And we can imagine this letter being read in the church of Philippi. That's what you did at church. You'd read these letters aloud, and then you'd reflect on them. Now, the church of Philippi, this is mostly Gentiles, mostly Hellenists, non-Jewish people. And so when they're sitting down to hear this letter read, they hear something that strikes them as odd. They hear verse 2, watch out for the dogs. And we imagine that something immediately comes to mind for them. These are Gentiles. They have heard people called dogs before because they are called the dogs. That is what the Jews would call the Gentiles. That is their racial slur. That is their demeaning epithet for the Gentiles. They are the dogs. Because dogs were not household pets. You didn't keep your fuzzy little dogs in your home. No, these were wild packs of ravenous mangy dogs. Disease-ridden, unwanted. The only reason they were kept around was because they would eat the trash. They would eat the leftovers, the discarded waste from your meals. So the Gentiles, who are called the dogs, are to watch out for the dogs. All right, then he moves on. Watch out for, again, verse 2, watch out for the evildoers. Now, that seems obvious enough. They probably think, as we do, of those people who are the really bad people. The criminals, the murderers, the child abductors, those real cold and heartless people. The kind of small group of people that are the bad people. Everyone else is generally the good people, but the evildoers. But then we look at this third term that he uses, and that one surprises him. Watch out for the mutilators of the flesh. Now, these Gentiles, they know what that means. That is its own kind of pejorative term. It's a pejorative term for people who believe in the circumcision, the circumcisers. And the Gentiles, they know that term because they're the ones who are uncircumcised. They are the unholy ones among the holy people, the Jewish people, the people of God. 
This is a, a rejection of them to be uncircumcised. And these Judaizers, these circumcisers, they're people who claim to be Christians, but they think that, okay, well, Christ is good, but I need to be righteous according to my own rules. I need to follow all the rules, keep the law. And so they would create an external qualification for being accepted by God. A resume, a spiritual resume for why they are good enough. And they would go around to the Gentiles and say, hey, I, I have this resume. You, you should probably start working on yours. You should probably get circumcised. Start taking care of the law. Work up to a good Christian life. And so Paul is calling those sorts of people, the generally nice people, the helpful religious people, he is calling them dogs and evildoers. And he even mocks circumcision, which has been around for centuries, which God instituted as a mere mutilation of the flesh. So why is he calling these nice people such terrible things? These good, upstanding Jewish citizens. It's because they are trying to be good on their own. What Paul says, in the flesh. They're using these external things, following rules, to make themselves good enough, valuable enough, worthy enough to be called Christians. That they would be kind of achieving their salvation, in a sense, by outward rule-keeping, by doing religious rituals, by doing good deeds. They create spiritual resumes, and that is completely contrary to Christianity. Now, as, as my small time as being a pastor, probably a longer time being a seminary student, whenever I say what my job is, like, okay, like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Like, people immediately jump into their spiritual resumes. It's really odd. But all of a sudden, they, oh, I, I grew up in the church, and I was baptized. Yeah, I, I give to charity all the time. I, I support people who are struggling. I'm just, I'm just a very spiritual person. I believe in loving and respecting and being kind to all people all the time. And I do that every chance that I get. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, hi, <laughs> I'm, I'm Peter, nice to meet you. Now, you know what Paul calls those kinds of people? He calls them dogs and evildoers. Now, that sounds brutal. But the fact is that we're dealing with a perfect God. Not just a good God, a perfect God. And so when he has a description of a good person, he has a very different standard. The standard is not that I'd be comparatively better than someone else. The standard is that he would be perfect. And these people, by trying to be good, are really just reinforcing that they are really evil at core. They are evil, they are not good enough. And so Paul goes on to say what Christianity really is. He speaks to a bunch of Gentiles and he says, no, you aren't the dogs. These people who are trying to be so good, they're the dogs. And those people who claim to be so good because they're circumcised, they're not the circumcision. We're the circumcision. We are the holy ones. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, 
who put no confidence in the flesh. A real Christian knows that their goodness does not come by proving that they are good people. A real Christian worships because they have been cleansed by the Holy Spirit and comes to God with the glory of Jesus as their worth and as their value, not something that they have attained. These are people who put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in what they've done. That is what a Christian is. And Paul, just to drive the, drive the point forward, he uses himself as a case study. And Paul is the holiest guy that these people have ever met. Look at verse 4. They put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have confidence, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This is a perfect spiritual resume. This is the perfect religious man. This is the daily equivalent of what I would say is, you know, I've, I've never missed a day of church. And I read my Bible and pray every single day. I tithe always more than 10%. The top of my seminary class, I've, I've personally led a number of people to Christ. I have a great Christian marriage, which has led to have a number of faithful Christian children. On top of it, I'm hardworking and well-to-do. I have my act together. You know what Paul says to that person? He says, big whoop. <laughs> it's worthless. It's meaningless. That doesn't get you anything. He basically says, all of that achievement that I had, I'm throwing it away because it is worthless as to compared to Jesus and Jesus' righteousness. Look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, Paul's worldly achievements, his religious achievements are rubbish. Now, let's talk about that word. What's a fun word? Now, in the Greek, it means, means a lot of things. You use it a couple different ways. Uh, I think he's using it, actually, as a sort of pun here. Now, rubbish, what this word is, it's the things that are thrown aside. It is the trash. When you finish a meal, these are the bones, the cartilage, the little crumbs left behind. And do you remember why the dogs are there? The dogs are there to eat the trash. They're to eat the rubbish. He basically says, yeah, I have all these achievements, and I'm throwing them to the dogs. Let the dogs fight over these worthless scraps of value and of meaning. They can have them. I don't need them. Because I am, I'm at the feast of Jesus Christ. That is where I want to go. That is where I want to find my righteousness and my value, my power. He is going to Jesus Christ, not to his accomplishments, not to the scraps. Because he wants to know Jesus. 
And if he wants to know Jesus, he's going to throw away everything that would hinder him, everything that would keep him from embracing and valuing Jesus Christ. Verse 8. He counts all things as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We receive Jesus' goodness and his righteousness when we stop trying to be good on our own. When we stop trying so hard and recognize we actually are the dogs and the evildoers. Only then can we turn and look to Jesus and receive his goodness, his righteousness. When we believe in him, put our faith in him, he gives that to us. That is his gift to us. But we don't just use Jesus. It's like he gives us more than just righteousness. He gives us all of himself. We get an actual relationship with Jesus Christ to the God of this universe. And we get the very power of his resurrection, which we talked about last week, right? The power to be raised right here and now, spiritually and physically in the future. And he even, even gives us the promise that in suffering and in death, we will come to know him more everything will filter into knowing Christ and valuing him. That is the promise of Jesus Christ. And so, my question to you is, are you ready to burn your spiritual resume? Are you ready to tell a different story? Where the first thing you say is not how good you are, but that you were evil, and that you were a dog, but you are now good through Christ. And you were once dead, but are now alive in Christ. That is what being a Christian is all about. That you are weak and are now powerful. That you were not good, but have received a goodness beyond yourself. So, there's only one way to become a good person. It's not by being good, it's by receiving this good person, Jesus Christ, and he becomes your good person. He makes you good. All right. Now, that brings us to the paradox. The paradox of this passage. Paul says that he has received this. And you guys have all, well, many of you have received this. You've looked to Christ for your goodness, for your righteousness. But now what? What do you do with it? Many of us think that that really is just the end of the story. That we get Jesus' righteousness and then we just kind of hang on to it for a little while. Just, I don't know what to do with it. And that's why the Christian life can kind of seem aimless at times. We're just kind of sitting here with our righteousness. But for Paul, the righteousness of Jesus is much more than that. It's something that actually motivates him to pursue Christ and to pursue more righteousness, more holiness, more goodness. He gets this righteousness from Jesus, and then he makes every effort to make it real and true and tangible, actual righteousness. 
and it's not something that it's not motivated by trying to make God like him. He's not going to put it on his resume. It's because he already likes God. Because he wants to be with him. He wants to know Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul receives righteousness, but he refuses to let it be kind of ethereal, intangible, hypothetical, theoretical. Instead, he wants to make it real and make it do real work. It doesn't just let it kind of sit there stagnant. He's going to make it his own. He's going to move towards perfection, towards more maturity. But we often don't get this. We don't understand that this righteousness is actually a gift that we use and that we embrace so that we may know Jesus and be like Jesus and love people well. All right, so what is this like? Righteousness is kind of like being given a superpower. So think of Peter Parker, right? He's given the ability to climb walls. He has super strength. The the web shooter, that's actually his own invention. That's not a superpower. For those of you who didn't know, for those of you who do know, you appreciate that I know that as well. Um, (laughs) And now... He gets those powers, but he has to then develop them. You always have that cut scene where he's in the bedroom, like, shooting the webs, where he practices swinging for the first time. That is him embracing his superpower, making it his own. So in one sense, he is given the powers to be Spider-Man. In another sense, he becomes a Spider-Man with those new powers. That is what our righteousness is like. We're given it, and then we make it real. That is a blessing, and that is, that is an awesome thing that God allows us to do. But the question is, why do we do that? Especially because it's not as fun as having superpowers. It's a lot of work to embrace this righteousness and to move towards it. So why does Paul make such a big deal about making it his own? His answer, because Jesus made Paul his own. Jesus, the infinitely valuable one, he reached out to Paul. He reached out to this one that was a dog and an evildoer, who is a sinner, who is dead. And he gives him his very righteousness that he he won by his life and death and resurrection. He gives that to this dead man. And Paul, what can he do but just rejoice that love Jesus? Jesus has made him his own. And that is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has reached out and taken hold of us. And we, in turn, reach back and take hold of him. We live out our righteousness because we love Jesus. And that righteousness helps us to know him better, to honor him, It is because of love for Jesus that we imitate him. Because why would we not imitate someone that we love and prize and value so much? So we aren't just kind of using Jesus for his righteousness. We want to know and possess Jesus. We want to be in relationship with him. We want to truly love him. 
that is our operating system. We become like Jesus because we love Jesus who first loved us. All right, so that is our goal. That is our operating system. That is why we do anything that we do is because we love him who first loved us. But how do we do that? That's the big question. How do we do that? We'll look at verse, uh, verse 13. First of all, Paul doesn't think he's already been there. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul doesn't fool himself into thinking that he's already good, he's already perfect. Oftentimes, that, that's where we stop. We think, well, I think I know as much as I need to know. I'm good. I, I'm probably as good as I'm ever going to be. And the thing is, Paul is not satisfied with that. Not because he feels bad and he feels like he needs to be a better person. He's just not satisfied with the relationship he has with God. He knows that he can have more Jesus, and he goes towards it for the joy of knowing Jesus. He makes it his own. Let's get ready to make Jesus our own. Let's make him our own. Let us truly, truly pursue him. But verse 13 again. He does this in a specific way. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. We don't look to the past. We don't look to the past either at past failures or past successes. Because the past failures, those are just going to be doubt and shame and guilt. We're going to be looking at ourselves and not in the power of Jesus not at his resurrection, not at his glory. It is his power that's going to get us to change. So we continue to look to Jesus, not to past failures. But maybe even more dangerous and elusive are the past successes, which can lull us into an apathy, where we think, well, you know, I used to read my Bible a lot. I'm, I'm probably good for now. Or like, I remember days when I used to love Jesus a lot. You know, things have cooled off, but, you know, I, I've, I've loved him before. We're, we're probably good. That is dangerous. We don't want to be content with having a past, used-to relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I used to love him. Well, we want to love him now and pursue him now. That is our greatest value. That is our greatest blessing. Let us not keep it in the past. Let it make it present. Verse 14. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. Paul is pressing on. He's running the race so that he may end this life to be with Jesus. That is the upward call to spend eternity with the one that he loves. So he keeps running after him. He keeps learning new things. So God says, if, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. God really longs to, to teach us more. Maybe not new concepts, but to teach us things in our real heart, to understand them more deeply. We need to be open to that and ready for that, humble enough to receive new things, to understand God more. And finally, verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
As Paul's final reminder in this section, he says, don't forget how you've gotten here. You've received the righteousness of Jesus. It wasn't anything you did. Our temptation is always going to be to pick up that spiritual resume and start flaunting it, start boasting about it, or to look at it and feel bad about ourselves. Things we must not pick up that resume anymore. We must look to Jesus, the righteousness we've already attained. So then, why are we doing this Life Apps series? We're doing it because we love Jesus, not so we can become good people. We are good people through Christ. Now we love him and want to become like him. So let's do just that. Let us love Jesus. Let us cast aside the rubbish of our worldly strivings, all of that religious goodness. Let's just run after Jesus. Let us strive towards the righteousness we've already found in him, partly by becoming as he is.